This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. The Giants and the Cowboys a little more than two hours from now at MetLife Stadium. If you're heading out to the game right now, hello. Happy to have you along. And then, of course, it wraps up tomorrow night with the Jets and the Bills also at MetLife Stadium. So we've got plenty to go through here in week one. We're going to preview the Giants and the Cowboys. Can the Giants finally break through against their divisional rival? Plenty to talk about the Jets, although what exactly hasn't been said yet about the Jets' week one matchup or the Jets' season at all. And we're going to talk some Yankees, a little bit of Yankees, and the only reason for that, and yes, it was a very, very bizarre game in the Bronx. Heard Jake Asman describing it for you earlier. Very bizarre game in the Bronx that I was actually at. Had to leave early, of course, to get back here for the show. Uh, By the time I left, the Yankees still had not recorded a hit, yet they did win the game. That's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the uh, potentially devastating injury news coming out of the Bronx just moments ago. Jason Dominguez, who has reinvigorated this franchise over the last week and a half, it was reported about 15 minutes ago, has a torn right ulnar collateral ligament, according to manager Aaron Boone. This is reporting from Jeff Passan on X. Dominguez may well need Tommy John surgery, although according to Passan, position players can often return within six months of surgery. Dominguez shouldn't miss much time next season but Jason Dominguez's season is done as soon as it began he was the only thing that and Garrett Cole's push for the Cy Young Award which took another step forward today Dominguez outside of Cole was the only thing worth watching for the Yankees for the remainder of the season he was scratched he was in the lineup and he was scratched about 15 minutes before first pitch And I was at the ballpark, so I wasn't locked into Twitter. had my kid and his friend with him. Uh, So we're trying to figure out where to get popcorn and sodas and everything. So I sit down in my seat, realize Dominguez isn't in the starting lineup, and I just chalk it up to, well, this is just another example of the Yankees over-resting their players. I was wrong, unfortunately. It was much worse than that. And the reason, again, Jason Dominguez, a torn right UCL. The same thing that Shohei Otani. Now, Otani is also a pitcher, as we know. So it's more devastating for a pitcher. The rehab is less severe, less significant for a position player, for a fielder like Jason Dominguez, but still um, can often return, often return within six months of surgery. So this Yankees team takes another hit. This Yankees season takes another hit. But today's about the football, all right? We'll hear from Boone. We'll get his thoughts on Dominguez's injury. Um, But today is about the football, and it's about the Giants and the Cowboys. Giants take center stage. Giants this offseason have been in an unfamiliar position here in New York. They're the other team. The Giants are never the other team. Even when Rex Ryan, 15 years ago, tried to speak it into existence, even then the Giants weren't ever the other team. But let's be honest. The Giants were the other team in New York this offseason because of Aaron Rodgers and because of the expectations for the Jets and everything surrounding them, hard knocks, Rodgers, those are the main reasons. Those are the main factors. And I got to be honest with you, the Giants will tell you they don't um, care. The Giants will tell you that they don't notice any change because that doesn't affect them. My honest opinion is I think they'd rather like it. I do. Because I think when, when push comes to shove and when the rubber hits the road, And when those parking lots at MetLife Stadium are filling up as they are right now, 
in anticipation of this game, I think you will see by 8-15 tonight that the Giants are not the other team in New York. They're not. Now, the Jets are a compelling story, and we have given them the lion's share of the coverage this offseason because what they have done is so radically different from what they have done in the past, what they've done this offseason. That's the reason why the Jets are front and center right now. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They've got one of the all-time greats in the NFL. But now it's the Giants' turn to take center stage. And what we're going to see starting tonight, we're going to see if last year's season was a one-year improvement based largely on catching some teams by surprise, winning some games that perhaps you shouldn't have won, and let's be honest, a soft schedule. The Giants had a very soft schedule last year. They got out of the gates with games against Carolina and Chicago. And they had a home game against Houston where they didn't play particularly well. And they had a home game against the Indianapolis Colts where they were able to wrap up a playoff spot. And they had a home game against Washington where they didn't play well and still managed to get out of MetLife Stadium with a tie. The Giants' schedule last year, let's be honest, not that it wasn't overly taxing. It was easy. It was an easy schedule. But you have to play who is in front of you and who is on your schedule. So credit to them. They did that. They won nine games, 9-7-1. Nine, and one. They got into the playoffs. They validated a lot of it with their playoff victory over Minnesota. But the Giants also did improve as the season went on. You know, September they caught some teams by surprise and also played a relatively easy schedule. And then October and November, they kind of reverted to a team in the middle of the pack at best. You know, they won some winnable games. The Packers game in particular in London was very impressive. The Baltimore win at home, even though Lamar Jackson imploded in the fourth quarter in that game, it was impressive. They beat Jacksonville before Jacksonville hit its stride. But then they had losses. They had losses to teams like the Lions when the Lions started to get going. They had losses to teams like the Seahawks when the Seahawks started to get going. For the bulk of last season, the Giants were a middle-of-the-road team. But in December, they turned it on again. You know, in December, they had that big Sunday night win in Washington that really got them back into the playoff race because at that point, it looked like their season was on life support. Christmas Eve in Minnesota, I know they didn't win the game, but they played really well. They went toe-to-toe with a team with a fantastic record on the road. The following week on New Year's Day against the Colts, we still weren't 100% sure on this Giants team because of recent history. The Giants, the previous five years, were the worst team in the NFL. So there was a lot of trepidation when they took the field on New Year's Day needing to beat the lowly Colts and Jeff Saturday as their head coach, and they left absolutely no doubt. And it was then that fans could start to exhale. You knew you were going back to the playoffs, and everything else was house money. But it got better for a couple more weeks after that. Week 18 in Philadelphia, you know, remember the Eagles, the Giants were starting Davis Webb. And the Eagles were bringing back Jalen Hurts because he had missed the previous couple of weeks. That was supposed to be his tune-up for the playoffs because they had a bye the following week. They wanted to get him a quarter, maybe a half's worth of work, and then put him on ice for the rest of the game, and they couldn't take him out because Webb and the Giants' defense played so well that that game went down to the wire. Yes, the Giants lost, but that game went down to the wire. They showed you something there. And then their shining moment last season – From Daniel Jones to Saquon Barkley to Brian Dable to Wink Martindale to the Giants defense, their shining moment was the wild card round win in Minnesota. 
and that validated everything. So this team not only went to the playoffs unexpectedly, but they won a playoff game on the road against a team that was 13-4. and four. After what Giants fans had to endure the previous five years, it was incredible. And I know we know how it ended. It was very disappointing. Did it have to be such a blowout against Philadelphia? No. Uh, you would have preferred them, you know, put up a little bit more of a fight. That game was over before the end of the first quarter. And that was a shame. It left a sour taste in your mouth, but not enough to think that the team, that team did not make huge strides last season. And that's where we pick it up right now. And there hasn't been a lot of talk about this team. You know, most of the talk about the Giants in the offseason was about contracts. Daniel Jones, I can't believe the Giants paid him that much. He only threw for 15 touchdown passes. He's only had one good season. That's not true, by the way. His rookie year was a good season. Go look it up. His statistics, his rookie year were good. The team didn't win a lot of games, but his stats were good. The, the Daniel Jones haters, the Daniel Jones naysayers, they want to point to last year when Jones won games, but his stats weren't great and say, yeah, he won games, but his stats weren't great. That's on him. But they don't look at his rookie year when his stats were really good. And the team didn't win. You can't have it both ways if you're a Daniel Jones hater. Okay? You can't say his stats aren't good and his team only won because of X, Y, and Z and not him. If you do that, then you have to take into consideration the stats that he did put up his rookie year when Pat Shermer was the head coach and they couldn't beat anybody. But Daniel Jones has something to prove. Daniel Jones is now the franchise quarterback. It's something that not all Giants fans wanted because the first three years of Jones's career were ugly. Not because it was his fault. I mean, he had something to do with it. But everything surrounding this franchise for his first three years was so ugly. And then last year, the breakthrough. And it really took him till about week eight or nine until people finally bought in. And we're like, geez, maybe this guy's actually pretty good. And then you get into December and the Minnesota game that they lost and then the Minnesota game that they won in the playoffs, uh, sandwiched between those two, the Indianapolis game that punched their ticket to the playoffs. And you're like, holy cow, this guy is going to get paid. I remember the, the rhetoric coming out of that playoff win that Jones could be 40, 45, 50 million dollars. That was the rhetoric. It ended up 40, which is a lot of money. But now the expectations for Daniel Jones are different. But the conversation surrounding the Giants in the offseason was all about money and contracts. It wasn't about this team taking the next step. The Jets got all of that narrative. All of the conversation about the Jets is now it's time for them to contend. Now it's time for them to compete. Super Bowl contenders, next step, next level. For the Giants, it was they overpaid Daniel Jones. They screwed Saquon Barkley. They didn't treat him right. He's worth a lot more than that. He's The, the Giants paid Saquon Barkley what anybody else in the NFL would have paid him. And you know how I know that? Because Saquon Barkley signed the contract. He didn't hold out for a single day. He didn't hold out for a single hour. He signed what he was worth according to the market league-wide. Jones signed for what he was worth, according to the market league-wide. They have those two pieces in place. They were their most important pieces on offense last season. And then they add the big piece in Darren Waller, who gave us a scare on Friday. And look, you're going to hold your breath with Waller all season long. Waller is the key to this whole thing. You know, you ask yourself the question, how can the Giants go from what they were last year? A nice story, 
a quarterback who took tremendous who, who who had tremendous strides, a running back who looked fully recovered and resumed his spot as one of the best running backs in the NFL, and it was a superiorly coached team, from Brian Dayball to Wink Martindale, all throughout. Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator. All right, that was the recipe for last year. You saw some really good things from their pass rush, led by Kayvon Thibodeau. It's year two for him. He's one of the focal points of this team right now. But the question was, how does this team, I mean, we we saw the Philadelphia game. We saw how far away the Giants were. You know, they talk about the talent gap. Joe Shane has spoken about the talent gap between Philadelphia and Dallas, the top two teams in their division, and where the Giants were at the end of last season, despite getting into the playoffs and winning a playoff game. But the talent gap was on full display in that divisional round at Lincoln Financial Field. This year, you have to start to close the talent gap because if you're not moving forward in sports, in the NBA, in the NFL, whatever league it is, if you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. The Giants cannot stand in place and expect a better result this year, and they didn't. They took a big swing. Um, It's not easy to go from a divisional round team to a conference championship round team or, dare I say, a Super Bowl team. There has to be some inherent risk involved. And the risk that Joe Shane and the Giants took was this trade for Darren Waller. They are putting a lot of eggs in the basket of Darren Waller. And it is a high-risk, high-reward move. And we're going to start to see, starting tonight, If it pays off, because if Waller can somehow stay healthy, he could be the best pass catching tight end in the NFL. Top three at worst. Travis Kelsey's getting up there in age. I put Darren Waller up there with anybody else in the NFL if he's healthy. Mark Andrews, George Kittle, whoever else you want to bring me. Dallas Goddard. Darren Waller is in a class with all of them. The only one that is Head and shoulders above is Travis Kelsey, and he's getting a little long in the tooth. But Waller staying healthy is a big if. We have no assurances. But if he is healthy, it changes the entire complexion of this team. It can make the Giants' offense more explosive. You know, the Giants were somewhat of a gimmick offense last year. All the times they had to go to the designed run for Daniel Jones, the run-pass option resulting in design runs for Daniel Jones, that was one of their most effective plays last season because they essentially played the entire season without receivers. Think about that. Think about what they did last year. Jones's top weapon on offense was Saquon Barkley running the ball. The Giants' second best weapon on offense was Daniel Jones running the ball. The third best weapon on offense was was Daniel Jones throwing the ball to Saquon Barkley. That's two guys. And then beyond that, yeah, Hodgins gave you a little something towards the end of the season. Before he was injured, Wondell Robinson showed you that he has a lot of potential. But we have to see it now over a full season. But Darren Waller being, and I talk about this with the Knicks all the time. This is a big NBA point for me, okay? If you have a a team like the Knicks where Brunson is your top guy, and Randall is your number two guy. That's pretty good, right? That, last year, got the Knicks to the second round of the playoffs. But what if you could ever find a way to keep those two guys and bring in someone ahead of them, whether it's a Joel Embiid or maybe next year a Giannis Antetokounmpo? My point is this. The Giants 
got to the second round of the playoffs last year, and now they have added, if he's healthy, an offensive weapon that is better than anything they had last year, even Saquon Barkley, because Waller is such a mismatch at that position. His size, his hands, his ability to catch the football and make big plays, that will be the most important offensive weapon that the Giants have to utilize this season. And it's fantastic that it all starts tonight against Dallas, a team that has owned them. Owned them. A lot of the narrative this offseason, Daniel Jones against Dak Prescott. It has been, it's become a thing to say that Daniel Jones is better than Dak Prescott. I've been on record by saying right now, at this moment, I would take Daniel Jones this season instead of Dak Prescott. But anybody who makes that statement, myself included, that is based on what the potential of this season can be. Because if you're making that statement based on what these guys have done so far in their careers, then I'm sorry. Daniel Jones has a long way to go to catch up to Dak Prescott and what he has done. But that is what this giant season is largely about. It's about last year being the tip of the iceberg. And now let's see how much better these guys can get. How much better can Jones get? How much more can you get from Saquon Barkley? Not much, by the way. How much better can Kayvon Thibodeau get? How much better can this giant secondary get? And that's what this giant season is based on. And then, of course, Darren Waller being the key to all of that. So it starts tonight. It's the Giants' turn tonight. It's the Giants' turn in New York, and they haven't taken center stage much at all this offseason, the offseason now being over. And it's the Giants' turn nationally. You know, it's been a really fascinating week one. There's some really good games going on right now. I've got New England and Philadelphia going on right now. Philadelphia is lining up for a field goal, trying to take a five-point lead. They look like they were off to the races. New England has battled back. We've got the Packers, their first game. After Aaron Rodgers looking to pick up their first win over, uh, excuse me, under Jordan Love. The Broncos and the Raiders in a tight game. The Chargers and the Dolphins in a tight game. The Rams and the Seahawks in a tight game. Football is back. And exactly two hours from now, football will officially be back here in New York. It's Pat O'Keefe, 1-800-919-3776. Give us a shout. Uh, your thoughts, your concerns, if any, on the Giants, on the Jets, your excitement level. We're here till 8 o'clock just before kickoff of the Giants and the Cowboys on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. 20-year-old rookie center fielder a little more than a week into his major league career, uh, a career in which he has already hit four home runs in his first eight major league games. First of all, a wild game at Yankee Stadium today. The Yankees did not record a hit through the first 10 innings and yet still walked off with a 4-3 to win over the Milwaukee Brewers to snap a three-game losing streak and avoid a sweep. Another fantastic performance by Garrett Cole. Seven shutout innings, uh, further strengthening his grasp on the American League Cy Young Award. But unfortunately, Dominguez, about 15 minutes before the game, was scratched from the starting lineup. And afterwards, Aaron Boone explained why. He's got a torn UCL. And, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, tough, tough news to have. Had some soreness Sunday, he said, in uh, Houston, the last game. But 
you know, I don't think thought that much of it. Started getting treatment on Wednesday, but still wasn't anything impacting him really. And then today, when he was, you know, doing his BP in a routine and he was swinging, it was, it was, he couldn't, he couldn't pop the ball or, or really hit, hit it hard. So we brought him up and, and he went and got testing during the game and it's, it, he's got a torn UCL. Yeah, just really the, the awful news. I mean, that was really the last thing keeping eyeballs on the Yankees this season. I know Cole's Cy Young chase is a thing and it's exciting for fans, but you know what, what the fans are more concerned with, you, you know Cole's a terrific pitcher and in, it's an individual award and it would be great for Garrett Cole to win that. But the main thing this season, the only thing that Yankees fans have been talking about has been the kids. And to be honest, the, the rest of the kids haven't been that great. You know, Everson Pereira, Oswald Peraza, Austin Wells, they're all hitting under 200. They've had their moments. They haven't been great. When people are excitedly talking about the kids, they're talking about one kid. They're talking about Jason Dominguez, who through eight games was starting to look like he was going to have a Gary Sanchez-like finish to this season, like Sanchez did in 2016 when he came up and he had 20 home runs in 53 games. But unfortunately now Dominguez's season is over. And here's more from Boone on Dominguez's injury. Crushed for him, you know, at the same time, you know, he's a young man and, and, you know, these things resolve themselves. So it's a moment in time in in the grand scheme of things and and, and what we feel like, you know, has a chance to be a long, excellent career. So it's, it's about taking care of it now. Sports, it's sports, you know. Unfortunately, you have tough things happen all the time. You know, this is something that he should completely recover and bounce back from. And but you know, in the moment, you know, you're you crushed for the kid. But you know, he'll he'll have great support. And he, you know, he's we've seen how he handles everything. You know, he's even handling this well, as you might expect. And and he'll be he'll be fine with it. He'll be he'll he's going to come out of this better and stronger. And and we'll all support him the whole way. So, unfortunately, Dominguez's season is over barely after it started. This was an unbelievable game in the Bronx. I know, as far as the Yankees are concerned, didn't have a lot of ramifications. Still a big game for the Brewers. They're in first place in the National League Central. The game was scoreless through 10. The Yankees were no hit through 10 innings. Garrett Cole threw seven shutout innings, allowed three hits, and he struck out nine batters. His ERA is now 2.79. In the bottom of the 10th inning, The Yankees looked like they were going to walk it off. They had the ghost runner on. There were two outs. Anthony Volpe on the first pitch he saw crushed one to right center field. And Sal Freelich made this unbelievable catch where he sold out and crashed into the fence out there in right center field. Had an inning ending and a game-saving catch to send the game to the 11th inning. And in the 11th, the Yankees' bullpen gave up a single. It was 1-0. And then in the bottom of the 11th, Oswaldo Cabrera with one out. And again, the Yankees still had not had a hit. They're in the bottom of the 11th inning. Cabrera doubles with one out, scoring Volpe, who was the ghost runner after he was robbed in the bottom of the 10th inning. That tied the game, sent it to the 12th, where Milwaukee scored two more runs. So now they're up 3-1, to one, and you figure that's all she wrote for the Yankees. But in the bottom of the 12th inning, Stanton leading off the inning hits a home run to tie it at 3. And then in the bottom of the 13th inning, Kyle Higashioka, a double to left field. 
scoring Everson Pereira, another ghost runner, and the Yankees, in a game in which they didn't pick up their first base hit until the 11th inning, walk off with a 4-3 to victory. So the Yankees are now one game under 500 at 71-72. and But again, the big news for the Yankees, and by the way, great, great pitching matchup. Cole, who might be the Cy Young Award winner this year, and Corbin Burns, who won the National League Cy Young Award two years ago. Uh, Burns had, he threw eight no-hit innings. And I, I was curious because he threw 109 pitches. And again, I was at the game. I left after the ninth. If the Brewers scored in the top of the ninth inning and took the lead, I was curious whether or not they would allow Burns to pitch the bottom of the ninth inning to try to finish off the no-hitter. I think that they would. I hope that they would. But once the Brewers didn't score in the top of the ninth inning, you knew Burns wasn't going to go into the 10th, so then there was no reason to throw him back out there for the ninth. So he finishes with eight no-hit innings. It was billed as a really good pitcher's duel, and it was exactly that Yankees win. But the big news is Jason Dominguez. His season is over. He's got a torn UCL. And, again, you don't know what the recovery time is, but this is from ESPN's MLB reporter Jeff Passan. Uh, according to Passan, Dominguez may very well need Tommy John surgery, although position players can often return within six months of surgery. Dominguez shouldn't miss much time next season. All right, we're less than two hours before kickoff of the Sunday nighter between the Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. We'll take a break, uh, and then we'll get into this matchup tonight. We'll get into the Giants' season as a whole. Uh, some thoughts on the Cowboys. They've made some changes also. Some coaching changes on the offensive side of the football. How will that affect and impact things starting this evening? And, of course, your calls at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. For me, the path for the Browns being good was if Deshaun Watson is a lot better. Deshaun Watson didn't play all that well. 16 for 29, 154 yards, and the Browns beat the Bengals anyway, 24 to 3. Joe Burrow, who really didn't have much of a preseason with the foot injury, the calf injury, he suited up, he played and he had his lowest passing output of his career, 82 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He was 14 for 31. The Bengals stymied by the Browns. They lose that game 24 to 3. Other surprises, Tampa Bay I thought was going to be, I still do think they're not going to be good, but one of the worst teams in the NFL. Their quarterback situation is less than desirable after the retirement of Tom Brady. Baker Mayfield beat Kyle Trask in their quarterback competition during the preseason. And again, Mayfield doesn't have a big day, although he does throw for two touchdowns, didn't throw any picks, just 173 yards through the air. But the Bucks go into Minnesota and beat the Vikings 20-17. to So there's one for all the people who last year said when the Vikings were 11-0 and last year during the regular season in one-score games. All the people that said the Vikings are due for a huge regression because there's no way that you could be that good in one-score games year after year. Well, this one is one for you guys because they lose a three-point game here in week number one. So Tampa Bay gets off on the right foot. The Saints and the Titans, two teams that I think are expecting to contend for their division championship. And it was a tight one. The Saints behind Derek Carr's 305 yards Holds off the Titans 16-15 to inside the Superdome. An eye-opening one in Pittsburgh. 
as the 49ers and the Steelers. Now, I think everybody knows how good the 49ers are. Um, the biggest question mark surrounding them is Brock Purdy. Number one, a seventh-round pick from last year. Number two, coming off that UCL injury that he suffered in the NFC Championship game. Uh, the Steelers are a team that finished extremely strong last year. People like what they see in Kenny Pickett. Mike Tomlin, one of the best coaches in the NFL. The Niners go cross-country into Pittsburgh. They jump all over them, 10-0 in the first quarter, and they run right through them, 30-7. to San Francisco over Pittsburgh. The Cardinals were feistier than a lot of people thought. I think the Cardinals are widely accepted as the worst team in the NFL this season. They were leading Washington going into the fourth quarter. The Commanders scored 10 unanswered in the fourth, and they win that game 20-16. to As far as games going on right now in the NFL, the 4 o'clock window, the 425 window, you've got the Rams on top of the Seahawks, 17-13. to They've scored 10 unanswered points in the third quarter. The Dolphins and the Chargers, I think that was one of the most, entice, uh, most enticing, appealing matchups of week one, and it's living up to that. Chargers lead 24-20 to in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, as they go back and forth in Los Angeles. Tua Tungavailoa, already over 300 yards passing, and they're still in the third quarter. Eagles had a 16-0 lead over the Patriots in the first quarter, and the Pats scored two touchdowns in the final four and a half minutes of the first half, and that's now 19-14 to in Foxborough. They honored Tom Brady at halftime of that game, and the Eagles have the ball and are driving up five late in the third quarter. Broncos, are they are they different? Are they reinvigorated? Are they rejuvenated under head coach Sean Payton? And more importantly, is Russell Wilson those things? Under head coach Sean Payton, they lead the Raiders 13-10. to Raiders not, on paper anyway, a good football team. And the Broncos at home with some pretty decent expectations, are struggling against the Raiders. And then you have the Jordan Love era getting underway for the Packers. They're in Chicago, and they lead the Bears 24-6. to And can, if, if this holds and, and continues, can we stop? Can we stop with the Justin Fields? Can we stop? All right, he's a good fantasy quarterback because he's a running back who's playing quarterback. Justin Fields would be a good quarterback, except for one thing. He's missing one mildly important ingredient to be a good quarterback. He cannot throw the football. He's not a good thrower of the football. He's not a good passer of the football. You know, I look at these preseason quarterback rankings and the top 10, top 12, top 15, and that'll lead into our Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott conversation in a little bit. But... If you go through and you make a list of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, I think you could fill out the first eight or nine spots relatively easy. And this is the biggest problem for the Jets because of those first eight or nine spots, like seven or eight of those quarterbacks are from the AFC. I mean, you go Josh Allen, you go Aaron Rodgers, you go Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, um, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert. That's seven, and they're all in the AFC. Now, you want to add the only, to me, no-brainer that you put in the top ten from the NFC is Jalen Hurts. So that's eight. So that really leaves, like, nine and ten up for debate. And 
you know, one of the during the offseason when you have to talk about the NFL every day on ESPN and you have to come up with topics and think about topics to talk about. One of the topics that got a little bit of traction at one point was who are the quarterbacks that are currently outside of the top 10 that are most likely to move into that ninth or 10th spot among the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, some names that were mentioned were, you know, Matt Stafford, who's a guy that at one point was in the top 10, but moved out last year because of injury. I think they're banking on him getting healthier this season. You know, Dak Prescott, I, I still probably put him, based on what he's done, on the periphery of the top 10. Geno Smith is a name that people thought could move into the top 10. And Justin Fields, I swear to God, Justin Fields' name came up by more than one person saying that by the end of this year, he could be a top 10 quarterback. And as I say this, thank you, Julian. Justin Fields just threw a touchdown pass, <laughs> so he shut me up. Uh, apparently, he can throw the football. It's twenty-four to fourteen. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on a Justin Fields tangent, a Justin Fields rant, but just seeing the same old through two and a half quarters of the Bears beginning this season with heightened expectations. Look, it's his third year. They got him DJ Moore, a more than competent wide receiver. Um, he's supposed to be good this year. I just I don't see it. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Like I said, he just threw a touchdown pass. They converted the two pointer. It's now twenty four to fourteen. Green Bay still on top of Chicago. Jordan Love so far ten out of twenty one. Hundred and sixty nine yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Jordan Love three rushes for twelve yards. As far as Fields, his numbers are good. Fifteen for nineteen, uh, with hundred and forty four yards. When I started the rant, he had about hundred and five yards passing. So he did most of his work while I was uh, denigrating his performance. And he also has five rushes for 36 yards. Anyway, let's get to the game tonight at MetLife Stadium. First and foremost, on Friday, the biggest fear, I think, for Giants fans this season, the one thing that could take all the air out of the balloon, and the Giants are cautiously optimistic. I think that's a pretty fair way of describing Giants fans. You know, Jets fans are optimistic. Giants fans are cautiously optimistic or quietly optimistic. You know, I think the Giants love the season that their team had last year. The Giants fans do. But I think they also realize that, you know, a lot of things went in their favor to make that happen. You know, a lot of things. They got a lot of bounces last year. You know, from opening day, opening week in Tennessee, a makeable field goal that was missed, allowing the Giants to win that game, to Lamar Jackson losing his mind in the fourth quarter of a game at MetLife Stadium and Baltimore blowing that game and losing it to the Giants. The Giants were one yard away from blowing a big lead and losing a game at Jacksonville last season. So a lot of things went their way. Okay, so Giants fans are smart, and they recognize that. They think that, yeah, those all, thing, all those things are true. However, also true is that Daniel Jones is – just scratching the surface, and that could be true also. All right, so the biggest difference between last year's Giants team and this year's Giants team, especially offensively, is Darren Waller, and he is the one big piece that is supposed to take them to the next level, which is why Giants fans were aghast on Friday with the news that Waller was questionable, and not only questionable, but his hamstring, which historically has been the – injury or ailment that has kept him inactive that was the thing bothering him here so that sounded off a lot of alarm bells and raised a lot of red flags so here we are on Sunday start of a new season start of a new era 
Giants fans hope. ESPN's Giants reporter Jordan Runon on NFL Game Day earlier today describing Darren Waller's status tonight. Yeah, the expectation is that he's going to be able to play, uh, that he's going to give it a go. But, you know, it's not the greatest sign in the world that a guy with hamstring injuries in the past now has at least some hamstring concern going into the opener. But from my understanding, this was something that occurred, you know, sometime between Wednesday and Friday. And the fact that he did go out there and he was still able to go and practice on Friday, they didn't, like, you know, they kind of held him back a little bit on Friday. The fact that he was able to go out there and do that and he came out pretty well is fairly good sign that you know he can contribute here in the way that the Giants are hoping for because let's be honest he's pegged to be their number one receiver and they're expecting big things from him the offense is not going to look like they had they, like they hope it's going to look the growth that they hope to make if Darren Waller's not there not 100 percent yeah I mean and I've said this for weeks now one of the most impressive things about Daniel Jones last season was as we got later into the season he continued to get better however he was getting better as the Giants seemed to have fewer and fewer offensive weapons. You know, Kenny Galladay, as we know, was a bust. He was supposed to be their number one receiver, and he was paid as such. Wandell Robinson was a second-round draft pick who was just starting to show some signs before his season-ending injury. Sterling Shepard, a veteran in that room, was lost early in the season. They didn't have a big pass-catching tight end. Daniel Bellinger was the best of the bunch. So it was a hodgepodge of receiving options for Daniel Jones, and yet... He continued to get better as the season went on, and the Giants went out, recognized that, and knew they wanted to bring in one, at least one big piece, one big weapon for Daniel Jones. The other big weapon he had last year and still has is Saquon Barkley, but they wanted to big, bring in one big receiving weapon, and that was Darren Waller. So if you have to go without Waller, that's tough. Then you're kind of back to where you were last year. I still think you're better off, but Waller is the key to this whole thing. But Barkley's the key, too. And let's not overlook Saquon Barkley. And not let's not overlook Barkley's, you know, offseason. He didn't like the franchise tag. He thought he was worth more. He threatened to hold out. He looked like he was going to hold out. And then on the morning that players were required to report to training camp, he signed his contract basically for the franchise tag with incentives that could pay him up to about a million dollars above that franchise tag amount. All of those incentives are tied to the Giants making the playoffs. It says a couple of things. It says, one, that people have said this about Barkley often. He loves this team, and he loves his teammates, and he didn't want to miss being a part of it. And Number two, to me, it, it says what Barkley thinks about this team. Barkley's first four seasons, he did nothing but lose. Nothing but lose football games. Under Shermer, under Judge, and then last year he got a taste of success, and he was the most important player on the Giants last season, which is why it was a shame to see him you know, treated is not the right word I'm looking for, because the Giants didn't treat him badly. The Giants made a smart business decision, but it was still a shame to see Barkley's full value not realized because I think anybody who watches the Giants know how knows how important Barkley is and knows what his value is. He was the most important player on the team last year. If he wasn't on that team, Jones doesn't improve. Hodgins doesn't improve. The offensive line doesn't improve. He was the most important Giant last year. So here's Saquon Barkley looking ahead to this season. 
I don't think we need anyone else to believe in us. I think we're going to accomplish, even if you guys in the media and the outside factors were saying we're going to do this, we're going to be a Super Bowl, that's not going to be the reason why we do that. Our focus is on us. The belief that matters is within this locker room, within this building. And if you think about it, this is really his third fully healthy season. His rookie year, where he was outstanding. Last year, where he was one of the best running backs in the NFL. And then, knock on wood, we hope this year is another fully healthy season for Saquon Barkley. All right, plenty more to get to. Uh, I'll be here till 8. Again, Giants-Cowboys kick off at 8.20, the Sunday night game. 1-800-919-3776. Your calls as we continue this evening. We'll get into the Cowboys as well. We'll get into this Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott thing that has become a bit of a debate this offseason, especially in recent weeks. And we'll continue to follow these games in the 4 o'clock window, including the Eagles and the Patriots from Foxborough here on 98.7 ESPN New York.